Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated for the health and happiness of their family, for the Shaduchim of their children, sponsored by Drs. Habib and Ron Damanis, uh, as well in loving memory of Yehuda Fuzailov, Alav Hashem Lishmat, Yehuda Ben Tzipora Ben Mordechai, Alav Hashem for a second Askara, sponsored by Ruti and Rafi Fuzailov. Also um, sponsored and dedicated for a speedy and complete Fuzailov for, for those in our family, our Ke'ilan, Am Yisrael, the Nidur Fuzailov, Ashlema, sponsored by Joel and Avi Oster. And in loving memory of Ms. Lili Safaleya Batchana, and for Fuashlema, for Chana Batzima Fega, and Eliyahu Shimon Ben Mazal Fortuna. And finally, the week of Kobu, sponsored by David Yash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to good today and every day. My friends, let us begin. The Pasuk says, Vayihi, and it was, Ahare Mot Shenebne Aaron, after the deaths of the two sons of Aaron, the Korvatam, and bringing close. Lefne uh, Hashem in front of God, and Vayamutu, and they passed away. We uh, we know exactly the story, but let's just recap for those of you who missed the last episode. <laughs> right? We know that Nadav and Avihu on the eighth day of the Miluim, which is the first day of the inauguration of the temple, so they got excited. They wanted to bring a korban that they had not been commanded to bring, and they brought what the Torah calls a foreign fire. They brought a fire that they had not been commanded to bring, and that was a, 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 a punishable offense on such a great day and such a holy day. And the spirituality and the energy and the passion and the closeness with God on the day actually served against them. I remember hearing a beautiful mashal. Like, you know, uh, if, uh, if you meet a guy uh, who's going to be the president, you know, and nobody knows who he is yet, or if you meet the president after such a long time when nobody even thinks that he's about him as a president anymore, you could go up to him and, you know, and say hello, have a coffee, you know, uh, uh, have a slice of pizza with him, you know what I mean? He's not in that zone. But if he is, if he is uh, in the zone as the president, right before his term, right during his term, right after his term, if you walk up to the president, you're liable to get shot in the head. Even if all you want to do is give him a uh, coffee from Starbucks, they might think that you have sinister motives and they'll kill you, right? I remember when, uh, when the president, when the, Trump came down to deal and they had this event uh, with uh, all different po- the politicians, the Republican politicians that were vying for office. And I think Trump came at the end of the event to kind of give an endorsement. So I was invited to go to this event with my dad um, to support the local uh, Republican politician. So I said, no problem, we'll go and then we'll leave. We, you know, we, had a, we actually had a family engagement at the time. But once we were in the space and he came, they won't let you leave. And I was trying to explain to them, like, I need to go. I don't think you understand. They're like, I don't think you understand. It's the President of the United States, right? Now, when someone... <laughs> only a Jewish guy is like, so what? Whatever. My grandfather was Leonard Rosenblum. And, you know, fine. either way. So... You know, you want to you wanna leave and they're not letting you leave because of security reasons. When the president, when a person is on that level of power, approaching them is a very dangerous proposition. When God was descending, so to speak, to come to the Jewish people, any mistake in that place had disastrous consequences. And the mistake that they made, they paid for with their life. What was their mistake? Many different opinions that I brought down. The simple uh, explanation of the pasuk is that they brought a foreign fire, they brought a korban, 
that they couldn't bring. One opinion is that they went into the Kodesh HaKodeshim with this, the Holy of Holies with their sacrifice. That makes it the easy, even easier to understand because even the right person who brings the right sacrifice in the right time, the Kohen Gadol, if he's not on the right level, he doesn't leave the, the Kodesh HaKodeshim alive. So it would make sense that even a small mistake would be something that, they would, uh, that, that would have resulted in this catastrophic end. But the second opinion is that they entered into the Beit HaMikdash while they were drunk, showing a profound disrespect for the Beit HaMikdash. Another opinion is that they, uh, that they decided that Moshe and Aharon were not appropriate leaders and they voiced publicly, when will these elders pass away so that we can take their place, which was considered mutinous. So many different opinions as to where the, uh, the punishment came from or what it was that they did wrong. But my friends, I want to focus on something completely different, if that's okay. I want to focus on one word. The word is ahare. Vayihi, and it was ahare moch nevene aharon. Now, what I'm about to say is not an easy subject or topic. It's not a comfortable subject or topic. But it's one I feel that people sometimes need to hear, like a slap across the face that wakes somebody up or smelling salts when someone's, you know, unconscious. Vayihi ahare moch Aaron. Aaron suffers unimaginable loss, loss we don't wish on anyone. Badamanan, you and I, we should all be protected from ever having to have a tragedy of that magnitude visit our homes, our family, our community. It is not, it is not a simple thing for a father, Barminan, to bury children. But the Pasuk says, and it was after the deaths of the two sons of Aharon. There is an after to every tragedy. It's not a happy one, as we say, whenever the pasuk is telling you something sad, it uses the word vayihi. And whenever it's something which is happy, we use the word vehaya. We don't say vehaya, and it was in a happy way. But what people don't often understand is that there is an after. And even though when a person is going through the worst suffering in the world, they can't imagine that there'll be a tomorrow... But there is a tomorrow. There is an after. And there is love, and there is light, and there is joy, and there is value, and there is achievement, and there is beauty. All of those things, they exist after. Maybe not in the same way, maybe not from the same source, but life is beautiful. And if you have a today, then today is a good day. And we read about the fact that Aharon and his two sons are approached by Moshe, and Moshe tells them something extraordinary. He says to Aharon, get back to work. He says to Aharon's remaining sons, get back to work. 
might look at a statement like that and say, wow, Moshe Rabbeinu, wow, so insensitive. But actually, nothing can be further from the truth. Um, every year, on the eighth day of, of uh, on the seventh and eighth day, Shavi'ish El Pesach, that we celebrate here in the Galut, in the diaspora. So every year, for those of you who are here for Pesach, you'll know that we make a Seudat Hoda'ah, a meal of thanksgiving. Because many, many years ago in Mexico, my family went out swimming in the ocean, and my daughter started getting pulled out into the ocean, and she started drowning in a riptide. And I had to decide to go back to get the lifeguards, or to go into the ocean and into the riptide to go and calm her down or try and save her myself, because I was closer, but I wasn't a lifeguard. In that second, I did what I think most dads would do, and I swam into it to my daughter, tried to calm her down, uh, tried to tell her what we were going to do, make a plan, swim parallel to the shore, etc., etc. But the riptide was too strong, and we kept getting pulled under the water, to the point where I realized that if no one came out to save us, we were not going to survive. So I used all the strength that I had to get above the water one last time, and I screamed with everything that I had to get the lifeguards. And by that time, thank God, I don't know if they heard me or didn't hear me, I wasn't really in the zone, but the lifeguards came running from the two adjoined, adjacent properties because we were swimming in the ocean between two hotels. And they came, they triangulated from both sides and they pulled us out of the water. So every year on Shavisha Pesach, on the holiday, so we make a seudat hoda'at to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu on the day when the Jewish people were saved from the deep, the waters of the deep, that we have our own miracle in the waters of the deep and the waters of the ocean. We thank Hashem publicly, because that's what a person is supposed to do. When Borea Olam does something for them, they're supposed to, uh, I'm going to thank Him and praise Him in public. But my friends, when the lifeguards pulled us onto the shore, and we caught our breath for 10 seconds or 20 seconds. The first thing that I did was I picked up my daughter by the hand and I marched her right back into the ocean. Because unless you do that, your child lives now with a fear and a phobia of water and they'll never swim again. Vayihi aharemot bene aharon. When someone goes through something very difficult, my friends, and it doesn't only have to be when we're talking about death. When someone suffers, divorce can sometimes feel like a person suffered a death in the family. The person spirals. They don't want to climb into their bed. They don't want to see or go to, they don't want to face the world. They become half of the man or half of the woman that they were, not just because they don't have their soulmate, but because they don't even understand, they don't, under, they don't know, they don't understand how to be the person that they were before they went through this. I remember someone saying to me at Shiva, I don't understand, Rabbi, explain to me, how did the sun rise today? How are people going to work? I don't understand how the world is going on after my father passed away. And Avel is living, in a certain sense, in a parallel universe. Nothing makes sense anymore. A person who goes through the suffering of divorce, a person who after many, many years is fired from their job. Now, it sounds to us like 
You know, if this person has suffered a personal loss, you look at a guy who lost his job and you're like, man, eh, big deal, that's nothing. No one has a monopoly on pain. My pain is not greater than your pain. and your, My loss is not greater than your loss. Because I think it is. You might have someone who's never experienced pain in their life, and this experience for them, by the way, spoiled children who are crying over something stupid that you and I can objectively call stupid. It is a dumb thing. Snap out of it. Get over it. <laughs> That's not how pain works. That's not how people relate to disappointment or sadness. That's not how depression works. It just doesn't work that way. For this person, Baruch Hashem, thank God that this is the worst thing that they've ever gone through. Thank God. But it is still the worst thing that they've ever gone through. And when a person is in that state, sometimes there is a shutdown mechanism that a person goes through in order to be able to protect themselves. In psychology, um, they describe, that we notice that sometimes in extreme cases of trauma, of suffering, of upset, of pain, of difficulty, you'll find people literally in their bed, the expression is curled up in their bed. And why do they curl up in their bed? They bring their knees to their chest. It's called the fetal position. You can have a grown man you can have a mother or a grandmother who all of a sudden is acting not on a psychological level, not on an intellectual level, but on a biological level, on a physiological level. They're reverting back to being a baby because what their body is saying in, in, in very loud terms is, I cannot cope. Someone needs to take care of me. The body remembers what it felt like when it last felt this helpless. It felt like a baby in the womb. Just understand the power of what you're looking at when you see someone curled up in bed. I'll never forget when I was in yeshiva. We had a guy who came from, uh, I think he came from the Congo. Happiest guy in the world. He moved to, uh, he was in Edison Yeshiva. Anyway, the guy decided that he was going to come here and he was the janitor in the Yeshiva. I always had a smile. I can still, even in my voice now, hear his voice. Big smile. Uh, Abus, like African guy, bald head, shiny, you know. And big smile like this, everyone. Hey, good morning. Like every morning. <laughs> Literally, I could still hear him. He had this beautiful, like, laugh. <laughs> good morning, good morning. That's how he used to greet everybody every morning. Best guy to have around in the yeshiva. You're coming with your coffee, half dead and to, to pray, and this guy is like, you know, amazing. All day long he told us about the fact that he did not come to this country to be a janitor. He didn't leave his family to be a janitor. He didn't move here to be a janitor. He was getting his electrician degree. And then he was going to make a life for himself. Then he was going to bring his family over. These were his dreams. My friends, and then the day came and he failed his electrician exam. Um, 
And that next morning, we woke up and there were ambulances outside the, the yeshiva. And they took him suffering to the hospital where he passed away because he had drank an entire bottle of corrosive uh, floor polish to kill himself. Happiest guy. Man full of dreams. A man willing to take a risk and move to a new country and put himself through night, night college. You know, sometimes a person is crushed under the weight of their own dreams. And they don't realize that there's a vayihi achare. Avi, you're good. There's a vayihi achare every tragedy. And if something terrible happened and something difficult happened, tomorrow's another day. And don't judge yourself for your pain or your sadness or your inadequacy or your inability to function. Don't, don't judge. Just tell yourself, there's going to be a day. It's going to come soon. And I'm going to open up another chapter. And if you're a friend or a spouse or a sibling or some a community member, sometimes what that person needs you to do is to come to them and say, go back to work. And that's not an insensitive thing to say. Hazit, you don't know what they went through. That's true. I'm not saying that I or we do. But what I'm saying is that for his own benefit, he needs to go back to work. And that work, work, that word work here, I'm using as a euphemism. I don't mean his job. I don't care which job he goes back to. Go back to life. Don't throw God bottom in none. You know, you have a person suffers a loss. And for some people, instead of one person passing away, it's like the whole family passed away. And they throw away the rest of their children, and they throw away the wife, and they throw away everything, everything. Now, it's not their fault, because they're not choosing this. But in some way, my friends, what we're learning from this pasuk is that it's our fault if they don't recover. Because there was no one around them that said, Get back to work. Aharon HaKohen, you have a job to do. You're in charge of the Kohanim for the Jewish people. You know, take your time, okay, but not, you know, take your, mourn if you like, but, but remember, I need, you to, I need you back to being you in some way, shape, or form. I don't doubt, my friends, that Aharon was never the same person. I don't doubt that. You could be the biggest tzaddik, my friends. And even if Aharon did not react, it doesn't mean that he did not feel. It doesn't mean that he wasn't profoundly affected. But profoundly affected doesn't mean you throw away your life. You got divorced. You didn't find the right person to marry yet. You didn't get the job you want. You got fired from the job you like. Someone passed away. Hashva Shalom, someone's not well. Life does not end. My gift, my bracha, is that every person that has that difficulty, that suffering, that um, challenge, 
My blessing for them is that they should have a friend, a brother, a spouse, a sibling who's willing to say what needs to be said to that person. Yalla, let's go. I still remember um, there was a grief counselor in, uh, in London. And there was someone who was really, really, unfortunately, going through a very, very difficult time. They'd suffered a, a, a numerous miscarriages. It was very, very difficult. But the husband, he, he was losing his wife. She was disappearing into, in his own words, what was he described, she was disappearing into a black hole. I don't know if you know what a black hole is. A black hole is something that swallows everything that comes in contact with it. And it disappears. And no light ever comes out of it. And everything that goes into it is just more black hole and more black hole. No matter what he did, no matter what he tried, no matter what he said, she didn't leave the room, and at first she didn't leave the house, and she didn't leave, you know, then she didn't leave her bed. Anyway, the grief counselor, it's wild. She said to the husband, she said, you know, um, and I, I, you know I completely feel what you're talking about, da 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 where he says, what do I tell her, what do I get her, what medicine? And I'll never forget this. The grief counselor turned up to the house, took her by her arms, pulled her out of her bed. The woman is screaming, leave me alone, stop, stop, stop. Walked her through the house in her pajamas, opened the front door, walked onto the front doorstep. The woman's screaming, the husband is just sitting there in shock. She pulled onto the front doorstep. And as soon as she made it onto the front doorstep, the grief counselor said, I'll see you tomorrow. Do not, without training, attempt <laughs> this at home. <laughs> but this person who was an, the uh, expert in their field, after understanding the case, realized that the person, there was no talking to this person. There's no therapy for this person. You can't medicate that out of the person. The only way that that person's going to get out of this is if they get out of it themselves. But God bless. You know, sometimes there's a stigma for people that need to get help in the mental realm. You know, we believe that people should be strong enough uh, that if you just tell them to snap out of it, that will be enough. You know, but sometimes, as we know today, medical... Mental health is the same as physical health. You'd never say to someone who has a brain tumor, come on, snap out of it, you know? You'd never say to someone who, you know, needs to have a leg chopped off, like, you know, positive thinking, That's all, that'll get you through it. You know, they go to the doctor. People need to understand that mental health is the same. And you need to engage professionals. And sometimes your job as a non-professional for someone who won't go to see a professional is to become the bridge between that person and professional help. But what I'd like to ask all those supporting, best supporting actors and actresses in these stories is whatever you do and however you approach it and get advice, there's great organizations out there. Simcha, right? SBH does fantastic work. Other organizations also that really help in the issues of, with issues of mental health get help, but the one thing you can't do 
is stand by and let the person disappear forever into a black hole. In fact, it's a mitzvah asef from the Torah. The pasuk says, Lo ta'amod al dam re'echa. Don't stand on the blood of your brother. You see someone drowning, you have an obligation to save him. And people don't only drown in water. Hashem should bless us to be the strength that other people need but don't necessarily always have to see that there's always a tomorrow.